to be with us this morning. We were just talking about how it's kind of a double whammy this morning. It's the beginning of spring break and it's spring forward, so we are very glad that you made it to be with us this morning. You're very welcome to be here. If you're a visitor today, a couple of quick notes about the service. One, you're going to need one of these worship folders. Uh, you can follow along in this. It'll tell you which songs, uh, where we're going to be in the hymnal, whether it's in the worship folder. So make sure you have one of those. And also, there's a little information card on the back of the pews. Uh, if you'd like some information, you can fill one of those out. Uh, put it in the offering plate as it comes by. Mary Alice or I or one of the other staff folks will be in contact with you. This morning, we're continuing our series, Learning to Walk in the Dark. And I know I've already told Ireland stories, but I've got one more Ireland story that I want to tell you. One evening, the Holy Abbess, this is St. Bridget, was sitting with the blind nun, Dara. From sunset to sunrise, they spoke of the joys of the kingdom of heaven, of the love of Christ, Losing all track of time, St. Bridget was struck by the beauty of the earth and the sky and the morning light. Realizing that Sister Dara was unable to appreciate this beauty, she became very sad. So St. Bridget prayed and made the sign of the cross over Dara's eyes. All at once, the blind nun's eyes were opened and she saw the sun in the east as it rose and the trees and the flowers sparkling with dew. She looked for a while and then turned to St. Bridget and said, Close my eyes again, dear mother, for when the world is visible to the eyes, then God is seen less clearly by the soul. So St. Bridget prayed again, and Dara became blind once more. One of the things I love about that story is it's so inverted from the way that we typically think about those miracle stories. So here is this woman who was blind and Bridget heals her, and yet somehow in her experience, in her blindness, she is able to see something that she feels like she's lost when her eyes are open. This morning we're going to discuss the idea of learning to see in the dark, that maybe there are things there in the world when we are in those dark places, dark spaces, that if we had the time to let our eyes adjust, that if we had the time to see in another way, we might just discover new things as we learn and grow. So this morning, we are glad that you're here with us, and it's our prayer that as we walk through this together, as we continue this season of Lent, that we all might learn how to see God even in the dark. Until we 
worship you. Many of us walked in here feeling as if we are stumbling in the dark places of life, parenting our children, caring for aging parents, making big life choices, dealing with illness and loss. We wish we could get some clear message from you. Make this choice. Do this thing this is the exact date, it'll all be okay. But that's just not how this works. Instead, you say, I am here. I know it's dark. There's beauty here too. Do not be afraid. I will never leave you or forsake you. And for this, we come today to worship you. Amen. of all creation, of water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord of heaven and
said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light to you. This is the word of the Lord. When twilight comes and the sun sets, Mother hen prepares for night's rest. As her brood shelters under her wings, she gives the love of God to her nest. Oh, what joy to feel her warm heart beat and be near her all night long so the young can find repose then renew tomorrow's song. One day the rabbi Lord Jesus called the twelve to share his last meal. As the hen tends her young, so for them he spent himself to seek and to heal. Oh, what joy to be with Christ Jesus! 
Hear his voice, O sheer delight, and receive his servant care all before the coming night. So gather round once again, friends, touched by fading glow of sun's gold. And recount all our frail human hopes, the dreams of young and stories of old. Oh, what joy to break close together, kneeling as one family, by a mother's love embraced in the Do you feel the world is broken? We, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do.
is all creation groaning. It is. Is a new creation coming. It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst. It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, is David through to the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquers the grave, is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy, is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy, is he worthy, is he worthy of this? summer day in July, almost four years ago, when I received a phone call from my roommate, Karen. With a frazzled voice, she asked me to find a place to stop and pull off the road. I sensed something was desperately wrong. I finally understood her. Dad's gone. He had a heart attack at the farm. Pop is gone. I sat in a state of shock as the phone call continued and cars whizzed by on Hewitt Drive. Karen relayed details she had received from her brother and then asked if I would stop by and deliver the news to a friend of Pop's who lived in Hewitt. I agreed to do this and headed that way. Pop was temporarily staying with this friend while some remodeling work was being completed at the house. Karen and I continued to live at the house during the remodel and we were looking forward to his returning home at the end of July. Delivering the horrible news of Pop's death to his friend was more difficult than I anticipated. The friend's reaction was raw and emotional, and I felt helpless. Thankfully, the friend made a phone call, and I was able to retreat to another part of the duplex. I found the bedroom with Pop's things, sat on the edge of the bed, and just held his pillow. His scent was ever-present, and it was as if in that moment, he was still alive, 
It was in that moment I wished more than anything I could give him a hug and tell him I love, I love you one last time. Pop basically adopted me when I was a young adult, or as he would always tell it, Allison showed up one day and she still hasn't left. <laughs> living with a friend and her widowed father wasn't the living situation I ever imagined for myself, but I'm grateful to both of them for being my family. The first year after Pop's passing was a quite a difficult and dark time. There was the stress of getting the house back in order after the remodel and realizing Pop wouldn't get to enjoy the improvements. Pop was a plumber by trade and was super excited about his new shower. It may sound strange to say, but I was sad he never got to experience his new shower. There were also ongoing family difficulties that produced stress beyond measure. All the unending stress and anger around me delayed the grieving process for me for about a year. I remember many prayers during the first year simply being, Dear Lord, please help Karen and me get through today. Experiencing the death of a loved one is never an easy thing, no matter if it occurs suddenly or spans many months or years. It is a dark road to walk even when others are walking with you. But over time, I realized the best way for me to deal with the pain of missing Pop was to go out and find him by engaging with things that reminded me of the life he lived. A few of these things were going for a drive on a country road, enjoying some Bush's fried chicken, or listening to a few Dolly Parton songs. Finding him in these familiar places helped me find my way. There are always going to be dark days, but thanks be to God, I'm glad to say this darkness doesn't have the same hold on me today. Did 
now, gracious God, in these moments. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1994, a 6.7 magnitude earthquake ripped through the city of Los Angeles at 4.30 a.m. The shaking and rumbling woke almost everyone up, and people began to peer outside their windows to see what exactly had happened. However, the power had gone out citywide, and outside of their windows, it was completely dark. So some of them left their houses to try to see what kind of damage had been done. And what they discovered was a kind of darkness outside that they really hadn't experienced in their city before. There were no streetlights, no lit up buildings, and very few cars out at that time of day. And then they looked up at the sky. It was filled with cosmic bodies that had been completely invisible in Los Angeles up till that point. Twinkling stars, clustered galaxies, distant planets, even a satellite or two. But then what they saw next made some people very nervous. What was that large silvery cloud that trailed over the city? It actually looked so threatening and mysterious that some people called 911. But the cloud wasn't from the earthquake, and it wasn't some extraterrestrial body entering into Earth's orbit. It was the Milky Way, and most people in LA had never seen it before. You see, a little more than 100 years ago, you could walk outside at night, even in a large city like Los Angeles, and see the Milky Way galaxy arch across the night sky. Being able to see thousands of stars was part of everyday life, inspiring artists like Vincent van Gogh, or musical composers like Gustav Holst, or writers like William Shakespeare. But today, scientists estimate that we have so much light pollution that the Milky Way is no longer visible to one-third of the world, including 60% of Europeans and 80% of Americans. Artificial lights have created this permanent glow over most cities at night, completely obscuring our view of the stars. Los Angeles was actually one of the first cities to introduce tower lights in its city, which were erected on poles high above the streetlights in the 1880s. But still, most cities would turn off these lights during a full moon, preferring a twilight level of illumination. But others saw all this electric lighting as a man-made replacement for the sunlight. In fact, in 1885, officials in Paris considered a scheme to erect one central tower so full of high-wattage lamps that it would create the feel of an artificial sun when evening approached every night. The gigantic 300-meter-high sun pillar would light up the city of Paris all night long. Now, thankfully, the project failed due to difficulties with the gigantic proportions of the design, and Gustave Eiffel proposed an idea for a beautifully lit iron tower instead. Now, back in L.A., the lights of the city continued to expand. With the largest street system in the nation and its famous nightlife scene, L.A. streetlights soon became a force of nature. Today, what is known as the sky glow across the city of Los Angeles can be seen from an airplane over 200 miles away. But other than aesthetics and really being able to see the beauty of stars in a night sky, who who cares about all this? Well, the reality is that we all should. First, there are all of the ecological implications of too much light and not enough darkness. Many animal species rely on this rhythm of light and dark, like sea turtles who lay eggs on dark beaches, 
light pollution has totally disrupted their breeding instincts, killing millions of sea turtles who mistakenly find their way inland toward the lights instead of moving toward the moonlight of the ocean. Migrating birds and insects are similarly impacted. Light pollution can confuse migratory patterns in animals, alter their competitive interactions, challenge predator-prey relations, and the list goes on. And it doesn't only impact animals, it impacts us too. Humans, circadian rhythms have drastically altered with the invention of electrical light. They were also altered last night when the time changed on us. And we have to wake up an hour earlier in the dark too. Studies show that people revert to more natural sleep routines when they taper their use of lights and screen time in the evenings. And they're healthier too. A recent study suggests that bright neighborhoods correlate with higher rates of cancer. Who knew? <laughs> and then there are the effects of the glare of our bright screens that we are constantly looking at on our eyesight over time too. The list goes on and on, as you can tell, <laughs> but suffice it to say that perhaps Barbara Brown Taylor is correct when she writes, I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light. Things that have saved my life over and over again so that there's really only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. In today's scripture reading, we find ourselves, once again, in the dark. The people of Israel who have escaped from slavery in the land of Egypt have been finding their way through the wilderness, and now they are at the base of Mount Sinai, looking up at a mountain covered in darkness, in thick, thundering clouds. And God says to Moses, I'm going to speak to you in this dark cloud so that people will hear when I speak to you, and therefore they will trust you as their leader. And so in Exodus 20, 21, we read that the people stand at a distance while Moses draws near to this thick darkness where God is. It's interesting, this word for darkness is different from some other Hebrew words and what they mean when they say dark. This word, Arafel, is reserved for God's exclusive use and is used throughout the Old Testament to indicate God's presence. We see it several times. In David's song of thanksgiving in 2 Samuel 22, the Lord bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was at his feet. At the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8:12, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. And in Psalm 97, the Lord is king, let the earth rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. In the same way that brightness of God's glory often hides God's presence and prevents people from seeing God face to face throughout the Old Testament, this thick darkness does the same thing. Sometimes God shows up in a bright shimmering moment like we see at the transfiguration, for instance. But sometimes God shows up in the complete dark like we see in today's text. And if there's room for both of these things to be true in our biblical narrative, then it also follows that there also ought to be room for both of these things to be true in our world and in our lives. Sometimes God shows up in the epic mountaintop moments of life, and you wish you could just bottle up these moments and keep them stored away for another day. You try to take a mental photograph of these moments because they feel sacred and holy. But sacred and holy moments can happen in the dark, too. The question is, do you and I have eyes to see God in these spaces, too? 
It was a Cappadocian monk named Gregory of Nyssa who actually first saw Moses' cloud as the sign for the spiritual life. He is the one who pointed out that Moses' vision of God began with light. He saw God in this burning bush in the wilderness. Afterwards, God spoke to him in a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night as he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. But as Moses continued to grow closer to God, he saw God even in the dark. As Taylor puts it, those of us who wish to draw near to God should not be surprised when our vision gets cloudy. For this is a sign that we are approaching the opaque splendor of God. If we decide to keep going beyond the point where our eyes or minds are any help to us, we may finally arrive at the pinnacle of the spiritual journey toward God, which exists in complete and dazzling darkness. So what about you? How have you learned to see God in the dark? And how might we learn to let our eyes adjust in order to see God in dark and unexpected places? I watched the movie Harriet last week, which tells this extraordinary story of Harriet Tubman's heroic journey as the conductor of the Underground Railroad. How many of you all have seen that yet? It's beautiful. But what I didn't realize in her story was the role that the stars played in helping Harriet and so many other enslaved people to find their way to freedom. Traveling through the night was often their best and only chance of escaping, but most slaves didn't have maps or compasses to guide them. Many of them couldn't read written directions, and even if they could, riding down the hidden pathways and safe points of the Underground Railroad would have been way too risky. And they certainly didn't have cell phones with Google Maps and built-in flashlights to guide their way. Instead, they had to learn to find their way in the dark. And so following the stars in the night sky played a key role in helping them to freedom. The directions were actually encoded in a song called Follow the Drinking Gourd. Verses of the song told them to walk a path toward a patch of stars in the sky that were shaped like a ladle. And that ladle, or drinking gourd, was what we know as the Big Dipper. Two stars on the outer part of the ladle point toward the North Star, and they just needed to keep following that star to find their way. In fact, the North Star actually became the name of the first anti-slavery newspaper published by abolitionist Frederick Douglass in 1847. I wonder, what is your North Star? What is it that has saved your life in your darkest moments? And how might we as a faith community sing the songs and point the directions and help show the way to save others in the midst of their darkness too. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes for a moment, which I know is a risky thing for a preacher to do, but here we go, friends. I don't know what kind of darkness you might be facing these days. Maybe you're in a season of change and you don't recognize the landscape around you anymore. Maybe you're in a season of grief and loss, and you just can't imagine a way forward. Maybe you're in a season of unknowing, like a dark cloud that is keeping things hidden, and you don't know what to do next. Maybe you or a loved one is in significant pain, and it's overwhelming. Maybe you have contributed in some ways to this darkness. Maybe you've made some mistakes or some wrong turns along the way. Or maybe darkness happened to you as quickly and unexpectedly as the lights going out during the LA earthquake. But whatever the case, it's dark and you can't see your way forward. Maybe it feels too hard, too scary, too painful, too risky. 
I'd like to invite you to take a deep breath in and out. And my question for you is this, even with your eyes closed, what do you see? Where do you see God's presence with you, even when you might feel God's absence? How might you learn to see God with you in the darkness, in a way that you haven't seen God before? As you keep your eyes closed, I would like to end my sermon by sharing a story about St. Dolan, a 6th century Celtic monk and poet. St. Dolan went blind in the middle of his life, and although he suffered much from the loss of his sight, it is believed that the ultimate effect of this darkness helped him to see God in a completely new way. He wrote a poem about his experience of living without sight that was used as a prayer and chanted by the monks throughout Ireland for several hundred years. And it wasn't until 1905 that the words St. Dolan wrote were translated into English, and then they were set to music in 1912. And so let's hear St. Dolan's words today, which will be familiar to all of us, in hopes that they might help us learn to see God in the dark too. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thoughts by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. And so, God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see you, even in the dark. And then give us courage to take that next step forward as we trust you and follow you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you are not sure how to take this next step forward in the dark, our ultimate guide for this kind of life is to trust and to follow in the ways of Jesus. If you'd like to talk with one of our ministers about that, we'd love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. Maybe you want to become part of our faith community where we seek to follow Christ together in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into the Calvary family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back ready to visit with you and pray with you as we continue in worship. Now I wait for thee, ready 
happy spring break to many of you. It looks like a lot of our friends are already on spring break today. Um, but remember that because of that, we will have no Wednesday night activities this week. I do want to let you know about something starting up the following week. Uh, we are going to start a grief group on Wednesday nights. Um, it's going to be led by Helen Harris from the School of Social Work and also Jen Caballero, a Calvary member who's a grief counselor with Providence Hospice. Um, we invite anyone who is journeying through grief and any kind of loss that you would like to process with a group to join us for that time. Um, if you'd like more information about what to expect or what that would look like, I know John Hunt and I would love to talk with you about that. We do have a new life within the Calvary family to celebrate today. Atlas Brave Cruise joined the world on Friday night to Katie and Jeremy Cruise. We have flowers today in his honor, and a meal train will be going up soon if you're, help, you're interested in helping out these first few weeks. So big congratulations and celebrations with the cruise. If you're traveling this week, I hope you have a great week. Wash your hands. We are going to be adding um, antibacterial stations around the church. We are just monitoring everything that's going on. If we need to make any further changes, we'll definitely do that. But in the meantime, let's all wash our hands and let's be in prayer for all those who are affected. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. As I go, hand of God, my defense by my side, as I rest, breath of God, fall upon, bring me Before and behind me, in every eye that sees me, 